0: morning Dale was mentioning turmoil and toil and trouble. Uh, As a nation over the last number of months we've also experienced terrorism and tragedy and we see evidence of people turning away from God and his ways and uh, I was really struck by a prophetic word that was brought, not dissimilar to the one, this, one of the ones this morning, a few weeks ago, where God just it seemed wanted to highlight to us the priority of praising God. And I've wanted to speak into the current affairs and the situation, the state of our nation for a while and I've tried to think up some clever things and some wonderful passages of parallel that we could draw upon but I can't get away from the fact that I think God wants us to hear this, that praise is important praising God is our priority and I thought I think to myself Lord surely this is this is an area of strength for us as a church I mean this morning with this wonderful time of worship surely is testament to that hearing Linda's story no, whatever's going on I will praise my God in the watches of the night I will praise my God it's wonderful Linda what an example to us but that's not uncommon for us It was wonderful to know that uh, Terry and Wendy Virgo, some of you will know them, some of you won't, was amongst us. They chose to come to us last summer because they had a free Sunday morning. Terry, who's the founder of the family of churches that we're part of, New Frontiers, and and they had a free Sunday, and they came to us, old us. Why did you come to us, Terry? When we came here last, we so loved the praise. We so enjoyed the worship. So I'm thinking, Lord, why why speak on praise when this is a strength of ours, potentially? But Lord wants us anyway to focus on praise. Maybe we need to know why it's important. Maybe we need to go deeper in our praise life of our God. We've certainly known some events in 2017, it will become infamous for certain things. We've had the Borough Market attacks, the Westminster Bridge attacks and the Manchester attacks. We've had the Grenfell Tower disaster and what that uncovered really in terms of broader issues in our nation. We've seen and living with the reverberations of the redefinition of marriage. I was listening again to Tim Farron on the radio trying to explain why he felt being a Christian was incompatible with being the leader of the Liberal Party. There's an irony in that. I don't know what that means, but it means something possibly for others in this world, in this nation. It means something possibly for some of us in the future if the nation continues on this trajectory. But in all that, in all of that, when we want to help, we want to respond, we want to pray effectively, God, I think he's saying to us, praise. Praise first. Praise priority. And out of your praise, you'll be able to pray effectively. You'll be able to do things that are on my heart. Out of there, you'll be able to make a difference. And the nation will come to you and ask of you. So it's out of praise. I want to read to you this morning Psalm 135 and just delve into that. It's as good as any of the Psalms about praise. Psalm 135 will come up behind me, but do flick to it in your Bibles if you've got it to hand because you'll be able to see some of the structure and the dynamics going on beginning to end. It says this, Praise the Lord. "'Praise the name of the Lord. Praise him, you servants of the Lord, "'you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. "'Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. "'Sing praise to his name, for that is pleasant. "'For the Lord has chosen Jacob to be his own, Israel to be his treasured possession. "'I know that the Lord is great.' That our Lord is greater than all gods. The Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of people and animals. He sent his signs and wonders into your midst, Egypt, against Pharaoh and all his servants. He struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan, and all the kings of Canaan. And he gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his people, Israel your name Lord endures forever your renown, Lord through all generations for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants the idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands they have mouths but cannot speak eyes but cannot see they have ears but cannot hear nor is there breath in their mouths those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them All you is right. Praise the Lord. House of Aaron, praise the Lord. House of Levi, praise the Lord. You who fear him, praise the Lord. Praise be to the Lord from Zion, to him who dwells in Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen. Father, I do ask that you'd help us grasp the insight, the inspiration, Lord, that this psalmist has penned for us and for our good. Lord, would you propel us deeper into praise? Would you raise it up within us? Would we grasp and understand how important it is in our lives in these days? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first and the last, if you noticed it, statement in this psalm is simply praise the Lord. Or hallelujah, which is what praise the Lord means. You know there are 150 different psalms, it's the biggest book in the Bible. I think God wants to catch our attention that these are important. But there are all sorts of types of psalm, and uh, it doesn't take you long to read into a psalm, the line or two, before you understand that this is a particular type of psalm. So there are lament psalms, such as Psalm 22, which Jesus quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? there are thanksgiving psalms like 107 give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever there are regal psalms if you like those that celebrate the sovereignty of our God the Lord reigns he is robed in righteousness 93 there are repentance psalms like Psalm 51 which King David wrote uh, having committed adultery uh, as as a psalm of repentance wash away my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. There are justice psalms, if you like, like Psalm 2. You will break them with an iron rod. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Psalms that just cry out for God to bring justice. We know that that has been done in Jesus, by the way. And seventhly, there are praise psalms, like 135, the one we're going to look at this morning. And when you start reading the psalms, it's helpful to just discern what genre you're in, because there's a variety here and actually the whole book of Psalms is structured that kind of generally moves in a different genre in different sections. And if, if perhaps to just highlight the importance of the praise psalms, you get praise psalms increasingly frequently as you go through the book. So from 135 onward really it's, it's almost only now praise and it ends 150 with praise, as if to emphasise this as, as a particular kind of theme in our song. And if you're not convinced, perhaps just from that, that praise should be a priority, not at the expense of the other ones, by the way, then you only have to read the last book of the Bible, the, the book of Revelation. And I know it's easy to get stuck into the, the symbolism and the trouble and the turmoil and the terror that's on Earth, but just give, it gives you, chapter after chapter, the heaven's perspective. And every time, the songs in heaven in, in chapter after chapter and these songs are praise songs, praise songs to, to the King, to Jesus. You can look at those perhaps in the, in the following week. If you just collected all those up in Revelation, it would just be an amazing exaltation of praise to God. Be Salvation is to our God, be to our God forever and ever. Glory and honour and power and strength, those kind of phrases. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Great and marvellous are his deeds, Almighty God. It just goes on and on. So we've established that 135 is a praise psalm. Uh, what to look at next? It's also helpful, particularly when you reread a psalm, to notice what structure it has. What's the framework of the psalm? And uh, I've had an opportunity to muse over it. And I would suggest to you that 135 is like a burger it's like a a, like a big club sandwich Uh, and I, I tell you why because it kind of peaks in the middle and then repeats itself in reverse order coming out again so you've got kind of two layers at the ends praise the Lord praise the Lord and then similarly as you delve into each layer from the front and from the back there's a similarity there's a theme that's repeated or maybe with a twist maybe inversed and then the meat of the sandwich if you like is in the middle so we're going to look at that The the, the next layer in, if you like, from the burger bun of praise the Lord is this relish. It's a call to praise, if you look at verse 1 and 2. Some Psalms, some praise Psalms, you see, call creation. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Some Psalms, of course, call the nations, the peoples of the earth, like 117. Praise the Lord, all you nations extol him all you peoples around the earth some go much narrower some of the praise psalms are actually talking to yourself to your own soul bless the Lord my soul my inmost being praise the holy name uh, Psalm 103 for example you've got to tell yourself at times to praise God come on the soul's a bit sleepy at times it's not always living in reality come on soul praise the Lord you've got to be like that and offer a, thank, uh, a sacrifice of praise and then you'll be in the flow but this one Psalm 135 is sort of in between those two extremes it's a call to God's people All of God's people, praise him, verse 1, praise him you servants of the Lord, you who minister in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. This is directed to all of us, to the church if you like, to all of God's people now. And to just show you how this burger is still intact, if you go to the end, verse 19 and 20, it kind of mirrors that kind of call. It calls all you Israelites and all you who fear him, all of God's people, Whether you're from the ethnic tribe of Israel or you you just fear God because you fear God, it does highlight the Levites and the priests, etc., specifically, but really the emphasis is on all of you, all of God's people. Come, gather, come, you who are servants of God, you who are ministers of God. You're not a minister because you lead, that's that's the wrong interpretation of minister. We're all ministers because we're all servants. It's another word for service and servanthood. We gather to praise. With others, We're not leaving it to other people. We're not leaving it to the worship team. We're, we're part of this. We're not graduating from it. This is a simple message, this praise message. I, I kind of moved on from this. No, no. We're all to praise and to praise God together. That's the call. That's a trumpet kind of, uh, kind of note, really, of the first few lines. And then thankfully, praise psalms, including this one, tend to give us a few reasons why we should praise God. In case we need them, because we do. We need reminding of the reasons to praise God. They're always a little bit different, and if you put them all together, it'd be quite a list. But this one highlights three reasons why we should praise God. So let's look at those. Verse 3. Firstly, praise the Lord for the Lord is good. You see, we praise God primarily because God is good. We don't praise God because we are good. We don't praise God because we feel good, although we might do at times. We don't praise God because things are good at the moment. Hunky-dory, thank you. No, we praise God because he is good. Therefore, if things are good or not good, if we are good or not good, if we don't feel good or not, it doesn't matter because God is still good. He's never changing. So the praise song is always relevant. There's always a moment, and the moment is now, to praise God. And so we can, therefore, praise God in the midst of trouble and turmoil, of terrorism and tragedy, of a turning away from God. We can still praise God. That's not to bury our head in the sand. That's not pulling the wool over our eyes. That's not ignoring the pain and the suffering. That's not instead of empathy. But we start there. We praise God because he is good. I remember when I was a teenager, I don't know what prompted this thought, I did have lots of grandparents, that might have been it. But I remember thinking to myself, you know, I want to make sure I smile as much as possible all my life. I thought it was a funny thought to have as a teenager, isn't it? Because, because you see, I want the, the wrinkles in my head when I'm old and grey to kind of kind of settle in, in, a, in a happy face. <laughs> How am I doing? Uh, the wrinkles are coming. <laughs> oh my word. I, I, never th- I thought that. It was a conscious thought in my mid-teens. Oh, uh, dear me. I'll well, tell you, in the same way, I want the, the grooves of praise to run deep in my heart and run deep in my mind. Who knows what's around the corner? Who knows? And again, this is a kind of thought I might have had I do have now. Lord, one day I may wake up and find myself paralyzed. It happens to people. I may wake up one day and find I'm in the advanced stages of dementia. And some of you are dealing with people in that phase, suffering in those ways. I, I, I want, Lord, I want, I want there still to be praise in my heart in my head and if it can be on my lips I want it to be there so I'm cutting a deep roof and well, maybe that's what God is asking of us all uh, through this prophetic word this morning for he is good um, secondly we've got another reason to praise God verse three for it is pleasant it is pleasant to praise God have you ever thought of that some Psalms remind us that God deserves our praise. Some remind us that God delights in our praise. That's an amazing fact. God is pleased, is blessed by our praise of Him. Can you imagine that? The Creator looking down at His creatures, praising Him. And he's, 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 he's warmed by Him. That's an amazing thought. But this, this one is something different. This Psalm tells us that praising God actually does us some good, it does us good. It benefits us. Praise is enjoyable. It's fulfilling. It benefits us. And you know why? Firstly, we're built to praise. Again, I've got some memories now of my teenage years. I remember sitting in in the church I was part of as a teenager and remembering preachers talking about the fact that, oh, as Christians, we know the meaning of life. We know the purpose of, of, of life and that gives us strength. But never actually stating it. Or maybe I missed it. So I was kind of wondering, that's lovely that we do know them. But but, but, but what is it? (laughs) Did I miss the memo? Maybe I dropped off at that point. Well, let me tell you what I've learned so far since. The purpose of life is to praise God. It is to praise our Lord No wonder, therefore, it benefits us. We're built like this. He created us so that we could bring praise and glory to him. That's how we were made. You know, I love the book of Ephesians. It's just so dense with doctrine, but also it just starts with an explosion of praise. Praise. It starts by saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then goes on for verse after verse, just with a whole catalogue of amazing things, spiritual blessings that Jesus has secured for those who trust in him. Yet three times in that opening passage, it, it reveals the reason why Jesus has so blessed us. This is the phrase, verse 6, 12 and 14 of Ephesians 1. It's for the praise of his glory. So we have been chosen and adopted and forgiven and baptised in the Holy Spirit. We have been set apart and we have received eternal promises that will get worked out as inheritance in the life to come so that we can bring praise to God's glory. That's why we're here. That's why he's done it. That's our purpose. And there's something of this even in the structure of the week. You see, the world has instinctively embraced this concept of a seven-day week, that everything goes on a seven-day cycle. Why? I don't know in the history, you know, why that is. But that's how God designed it, lo and behold. That's how creation tells us God designed the world. So somehow living within God's ordained pattern for the cosmos makes sense. And we find a fulfilment in it. We find a strength from it because that's how he's made us to work. So coming together as God's people, as this psalm exhorts us to do, on a seven day cycle for corporate praise. Come on you people, praise the Lord. It feels good. It does us good. Not only is it the fourth commandment, by the way. Not only is it the early church's example Read it in Acts. Not only is it the New Testament expectation, reading through the letters. No, no, it is for our own good. It's pleasant for us. We might think that leisure time, me time, every seven days will do us good. And it probably will. But not at the expense of us gathering as God's servants and ministering to him praise that blesses him and does us good. Reason number three, he chose you. He chose you. You see, as soon as you start to grapple with praise, you start to so grapple with some amazing, profound doctrines. Predestination. It can leave you scratching your heads. Watch it. God chose me before the foundation of the world. How does that work out against free will? It can leave you befuddled. But what it's definitely meant to leave you is praising God. Ephesians again touches on this in that passage I was referring to. In him we were also chosen, verse 11, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Wow, if you're a Christian here today, you can know that God chose you before the cosmos was born and if you're not a Christian here today take it from me I believe that God has chosen you come and join us come and praise God with us Uh, okay fourthly this psalm as many psalms do particularly the praise ones tell us what we can praise God for and there are two broad themes they won't be uh, rocket science to you but it's important we don't forget them we're meant to praise God for who he is and what he's done And lo and behold, 135 here illustrates a few of these points. So who God is, that's where we start with praise. Who God is. We praise him for his attributes, his characteristics, his traits. And uh, in case you thought I'd forgotten, the burger symmetry is still going on here. If we look at verse 5 to 7, it talks about the Lord being superior to all other gods because God made everything. Then verse 15 to 18 kind of takes that theme but inverses it and says, all other gods are inferior to the Lord because they're made by man. You see, how it's clever. This is poetic stuff. This is clever literature. It's sometimes disguised by 21st century English, but at root, this is is great. It's good to get in with it and engage with it. But it goes on from that. There's other references to who God is. Um, We praise God for being superior, yes, and creator, yes, but also for being sovereign. Verse six. Chew on this one for a week. <laughs> the Lord does whatever pleases Him. He is sovereign. See, this is not. This is not. This is not the the, the foothills of praise. This is the meat. This is. This is the high place. When we grapple with these doctrines, the Lord does whatever pleases him. He answers to nobody. He can do as he likes. And we praise him for Him, for it. It talks about his eternal nature. He endures forever, verse 13. He is just, for, verse 14. He will vindicate his people. He is loving, the end of 14. He has compassion on his servants. You see, God has revealed so much about himself, yet he remains profound and he remains like a paradox. He is amazing and we've got enough evidence of it here, but he's also a mystery. The Bible contains enough for a lifetime of fresh, constant revelation about who he is, his multi-dimensional love. Oh, I know God's love, I've heard that one, I know that, I can recite that. Now, do you know that? How, do you know how multi-dimensional his love is? Love is a very fat uh, word in the English language. It doesn't carry all the nuance. We use it in different ways. And it means the same for God every time. Do you know the dynamics of God in the Godhead? There's one God, yet three persons. And there's a dynamic between them. There's relationship and community within our very God. Have you explored that? Have you praised him for it? The biblical names, verse 3 and 13, reference the names of God. There's so many. Get lost in them. Find them. Discover them. Get those ones that are are out out of the way that aren't referenced much and just enjoy them and worship God for them. We worship God for who he is. We worship God and praise him for what he has done. And there's an unending list. And the psalmist here touches on a few of them. He touches on matters, if you like, of geography and history. Geography. First, God created the universe. Read verse 7. He makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from his storehouses. Now don't I mean, it's is poetic stuff. There isn't a storehouse with wind in it. You can't find a cupboard labelled wind, you know, and get it out. And it's, it's poetic language, but God is, is presiding over the weather patterns. He invented meteorology. I was practising that word because I'm not very good at myologies, but that... Uh, you know, when I was a kid, again, uh, in 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 you know, learning stuff as you do at school, and you think, oh, why am I learning this? Why am I learning maths? Why do we have to learn maths? Why do we why do we have to learn geography? And and something just grasped my attention, and it was about the hydrological cycle. You know the one—the water system that God's put on the earth. You know, so kind of a water gets evaporated off the earth, and it condenses, and it forms clouds, and, and then it precipitates. That's the word, isn't it? If I remember rightly, it kind of rains and snows and hails, and it goes on the ground, and it seeps into the ground, and some of it goes on the ground in streams and rivers, all collects up so that the world can stay alive. That's quite clever. God did that. It's amazing. That's just something of that just oh, woke me up in the middle of a geography lesson. <laughs> and I trust it will happen to you in other lessons as well. Because uh, God's fingerprint is absolutely everywhere. You know, Isaac Newton, possibly the greatest scientist that ever lived, he said the humble thumb was enough proof for him that God existed. You can imagine him, can't you? Isaac Newton sitting there musing about you know, the theories of this, that and the other. Going, oh my. The thumb no one's thought about the thumb. The thumb is a clever little thing. It kind of does that, for one. Some go backwards. Some members of our family, you've got, you know, you got thumbs that go at right angles. Some are straight up. Right. Oh, anyway, that doesn't matter. But that was enough evidence for Sir Isaac Newton to think there's a God exists. I heard a wonderful testimony the other day from a guy who leads a church up in Bedford. And he said that someone came to his church and gave his life to Christ recently. And this was his story that he was an atheist. And one day he was lying in bed looking out the window and he saw a tree and he saw the leaves on the trees and he noticed the sheer number of shades of green on the leaves of the tree and in a moment he suddenly realised God exists. From the shades of the green on the tree he went to church and he gave his life to Christ. I don't know quite the the length of that story but you know you get the idea. That's our God. You know, theology isn't the only noble study. Whatever your interest, science, maths, arts, music, psychology, you will find the fingerprints of God has gone there before you. The whole of our lives are meant to bring praise to God and bring glory to him. Therefore, it's got to include our education, our occupation, our vocation. If you're a carer, if you're a health professional, if you're studying law, if physics is your thing, if you're interested in local history, let me tell you, go and do it for the glory of God. Go and pursue it for the praise of God. It is noble. You will see his handiwork in there and take those moments and praise him. And would your life, vocation, education and occupation... Be for his glory. Don't just do it for the money. not enough. Do it for his glory. I'm not working for a boss. I'm working for the Lord. I heard that somewhere. Secondly, God has worked salvation. This is history. We worship God for what he has done in history. And if, if Psalm 135 is a burger, as I suggest to you, then we're at the meat of it here. We're in the middle of it here. This is, the, this is a crescendo moment for the psalmist. He summarises over a few verses the history of God's miraculous, dramatic redemption of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and into the glorious inheritance of the Promised Land, defeating all those kings, the, the Amorites of Bashan and Canaan. He's remembering. He's bringing to mind the history of God's mighty works. It was a miraculous thing—the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea. Do you remember that? The Passover and the Lamb and the firstborns being uh, killed. Of all those victories, I mean, the numbers don't make sense. They were the small. They were meant to lose all those battles numerically, yet they won because God was with them. It's a miracle after miracle after miracle in the pages of the history books. And as if I think to emphasise, this is the, the high point of this psalm because sometimes they relate to each other. You have to look at the other ones around it. Psalm 136 picks this up. Psalm 136 is one of the the liked ones. It's the ones of the remembered ones. It's the ones that people go to quickly because they remember it. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. Who does great wonders, etc, etc. And then soon it gets into the detail again of the core of 135. The redemption of God's people, the exodus narrative out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the promised land, making defeats, parting of the Red Sea, it just explodes the the heart of this psalm and makes a whole psalm of it with just this echo, this refrain, his love endures forever. Have you looked through the history books? I think as I get older I appreciate history more, you know. I just bought the, the concise history of the world. Times six pounds bargain in Smith, down from thirty pounds, oh yeah, I'm sure. But anyway, it's there, page after page, these maps and arrows. God's God's working through all of that. That's the kind of thing I read. Oh dear. It's, it's good toilet kind of you know literature, isn't it? Um, where is Jesus? heard the game Where's Wally? Where's Jesus? If you're reading any psalm you must come to the question where is Jesus in this psalm? And I think Jesus is in the centre here in this historic narrative. You say well no he isn't, I can't see his name. This is written about something that happened before Jesus came. Yes I know but time and time again through, through the Bible it uses the historic events particularly the exodus to prefigure what Jesus achieved for us at the cross. So we've got to remember Jesus. We, I love singing all those songs we sang today that just go through the detail of, of Jesus and what he did in kind of chronological order. Yeah, he died and then he, he rose again and yeah, yeah. And then we're going into glory. I love that. Let's go back here again. Let's just go over this again and again. That's where Jesus is. You see, God has struck down the firstborn, he struck down Jesus in our place for our sin. God has sent Jesus as a sign of wonder into the midst of the world. Not just to Egypt, but to the whole world. His birth was a miracle. His death was a miracle. His resurrection was a miracle. His ascension was a miracle. He's seated on high and he's sent the Holy Spirit so the miracles can continue through his people. This is a story of miracles, of intervention, of God's handiwork. At the cross, Jesus defeated all of the enemies. King Og, that's a funny name, isn't it? But no, he, he killed our enemies of sin, of suffering, of Satan. He's won for us an inheritance that doesn't just cover a little patch of land in the Middle East, although that has been important. But the whole earth is God's inheritance and he will receive it as we will with him in the new heavens and the new earth. You know, I'd love you to go away from the day and make Psalms a part of your regular Bible intake. I... I tend to read the Psalms at least once a year, sometimes twice a year, one a day for 150 days. Some are shorter, do two. Some are longer, just kind of split in half. You know, you'll get the thing. But I do it alongside other things. I want to make sure I get a balanced diet. It's not the only thing I read. If you read Psalms, only Psalms for 150 days. It's helpful, but you need other stuff as well, but it is helpful. And the, probably the best thing you can do with any Psalm is this. Read it, pray it, sing it. Read it, reread it, look for the things we've looked for today. Look for the genre, look for the structure, look for the context if there is any. Look at the footnotes, look at the language, look at the poetic form. Look for Jesus in it. Then pray it, use it for inspiration and ideas. Pray the very themes that are there out into your life, into your family's life, into the nation's life. And you can go, well, a lot of this is about war and battle, and, you know, it's a bit gruesome. Yeah, use that for spiritual warfare. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual forces of evil. And we can do that in prayer which we use the Psalms as inspiration. And sing it. You know, well, I don't know about that. I'm on the train doing my Bible thing. I'm not going to break out into song. Well, find, find a place in a park. Go go for a walk at lunchtime. Get up a little bit earlier before anybody else is awake and whisper your songs behind closed doors. Use this to find your voice, your lament, your thanksgiving, your repentance and your praise to your God. The psalmist says in verse 5, I know that the Lord is great. And we too, if we're going to grow in praise, we need to know. We need to know God. Our praise is only praise if it comes out of the dynamic of our relationship with him. Out of the revelation he has given us. And there's more and more of that for us. Then we can reach the heights of the psalmists. Then we can reach the heights of those who've penned mighty worship songs. And on that note, I'm going to read something to you to end. This was written by a guy called S.M. Lockridge, Shadrach Meshach Lockridge of San Diego, California, who led a church there for the latter half of the 20th century. And it's quite long. And out of this, the worship band will come up and lead us into a song of praise. You can follow it behind me. You can just listen. Uh, Do as you will. You can close your eyes. Keep them open. It says this. My king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? Don't try to mislead me. Do you know my king? David said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is the only one of whom there are no means of measure that can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of the shore of his supplies. No barriers can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my King. He's God's son, he's the sinner's saviour, he's the centrepiece of civilization. he stands alone in himself, he's honest, he's unique, he's unparalleled, he's unprecedented, he's supreme, he's preeminent, he's the greatest idea in literature, he's the highest personality in philosophy, he's the supreme problem in higher criticism, he's the fundamental doctrine of historic theology, he's the carnal necessity of spiritual religion, that's my king he 's the miracle of the age he 's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him he's the only one able to supply all our needs simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak he 's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves he 's the Almighty God who guides and keeps all his people. He heals the sick, he cleanses the lepers he forgives sinners he discharges the debtors he delivers the captives he defends the feeble he blesses the young he serves the unfortunate he regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. That's my king. Do you know him? Well my king is a king of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of governors. He's the prince of princes. He's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you but he's indescribable that's my king he's incomprehensible, he's invisible and he is irresistible I'm coming to tell you this that the heavens of heavens cannot contain him, let alone some man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind, you can't get him off your hands, you can't outlive him and you can't live without him the Pharisees couldn't stand him but they found they they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree about him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him and the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He's always has been and he always will be. I'm talking about the fact that he had no predecessor and he'll have no successor. There's nobody before him and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him. He's not going to resign. That's my king. That's my king. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Well, the power belongs to my king. You might talk about black power and white power and green power, but in the end, all that matters is God's power. Thine is the power and the glory. We try to get prestige and honour and glory for ourselves, but the glory is all his. Yes, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever and ever. How long is that? forever and ever and ever and ever and when you get through with all the our evers then amen, amen.